Good morning. It's really good to see you. It's always good when you find an illustration that you're looking for on the Thursday morning, which is normally my uh, sermon prep morning. So I opened the paper, or clicked on it, shall I say, and I found the story of Gillian uh, Bayford. Gillian Bayford holds the record of the largest ever Euro Millions lottery win. 148 million pounds in 2012 was won uh, one weekend by Gillian and her then husband, Adrian. The article told the story, however, sadly, that uh, following this huge win, everything in their lives began to fall apart. It's an all too familiar story. The article told the story of how, uh, having landed the jackpot, her marriage ended very soon. Her family relationship started to disintegrate, although she distributed something like 20 million pounds towards her close family shortly after the win. And at the end of the article, when Gillian was actually speaking, she says, it's upsetting. I'm upset and I'm raw. The money was supposed to make everybody happy, but it's made them demanding and greedy. I don't think anyone's won 148 million pounds here. If so, come see me. Um, but what's interesting is whether it's a large amount of money or small, money promises so much. Treasures, stuff, acquisitions, just promises so much. But very often it delivers so little. It has immense power money for good and for ill. And we can go around the room and pass the microphone around. And each one of us will be able to tell some story of whether it's someone we know or something that's happened in our own lives of the power of money, the power of stuff, and the danger in modern parlance of affluenza. That's having too much stuff, especially in Epsom, especially in the Western world. Jesus wants us to be in no doubt that if we become his followers, if we become Christians, our attitude towards money and possessions will change. Maybe not overnight, but it will change gradually. There should be a different framework. There should be a different horizon, a different perspective of how we understand and use the money and the possessions that he entrusts to us. And that's what Jesus has been doing in these chapters from uh, Luke 10 through to Luke 17, 18. This is a big section about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he looks at different areas of our lives. And last week and now into this week as well, Jesus is looking at the subject of money and possessions and things like that. What's interesting in this passage, which is pretty clear about the danger of money and possessions, what is interesting is that Jesus wants to put his finger on something very subtle in the power of money and possessions. He says, how you deal with money when you become a Christian, when you become a follower, when you become a disciple, really will show your level of maturity. You see, greed is a danger, verse 15. He says, watch out for greed. It's a really kind of overt, bold, clear statement from the lips of Jesus. Watch out for greed. Greed is a, it's a money sickness. It's a misplacedness of your treasure, of your security. And greed, which we think we all know what that means, greed is something that money can cause. You can get it from other things. But money, more than anything else, can produce greed. And so Jesus is saying, when someone becomes greedy, it's not just a 
because they've got too much stuff, too much money in their bank account. It's actually a spiritual problem. It's a worship problem. It's not just a bank account problem. It's not just an over or misplaced investment problem. It's a spiritual problem, says Jesus. It's a spiritual illness, and it's so strong that I need to warn you without any doubt just how big a problem it is. And so he says, verse 15, here's a problem that we're all going to face. It's not just about 148 million pounds. Whether you've got large amounts of money or little amounts of money, watch out for greed, verse 15. Now hang on. This is not a bashing sermon on the troubles that money can bring. The Bible's really clear about people that God has entrusted lots of money to, bucket loads of money to, and they've handled it really, really well. Abraham. Abraham in Genesis. He's a really wealthy man. He handled money very, very well. Job. Perhaps he's one of the most wealthy men in the whole of the Bible. He handled money really well. But in spite of the few exceptions, Jesus talks more about money than any other subject, I think. And so he needs to say really clearly, watch out for greed. Watch out for money sickness. Beware, number one, of money sickness. Beware of money blindness. Now the passage begins, verse 13, with a crowd that comes along and there's a problem. A man has, probably a brother, has inherited a whole estate and he wants Jesus to come and sort out the mess. So a brother comes along and says, hey, tell my sibling to give me my share. Verse 14 then to 15, Jesus says, this is not my job, this is not my mission, this is not why I've come. And then he puts his finger right on the heart issue that this squabble is showing. He discerns the real problem. He shows how families can be torn apart. He shows how careers can be wrecked. He shows how marriages can end. He shows how gambling problems can begin. He says, verse 15, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now listen, there is a presupposition, there is an underlying understanding in that statement. Verse 15, watch out, be on your guards against all kinds of greed. There's an assumption that Jesus is making there. Here's the assumption. Greed, money, treasures, they have a power that can blind you. That's the presupposition. So he says, watch out. Because the implication is that you can be caught off guard. You can be caught unawares. You can be caught out. Money, in this situation, verses 13 and 14, Jesus is saying it has power to, to overwhelm you, to blind you. It has hidden power, it has deceptive power, it has significant power to grab hold onto your heart and to take your life on a different direction. The pursuit of money and wealth and greed. And that's why he has to say, watch out. I mean, why would Jesus have to warn on this topic? It's very interesting. We said it in our life group on Tuesday. Jesus never says, to my knowledge, watch out for adultery, just in case you forget that you're going to enter into adultery. But Jesus speaks ten times more on money than sex. Why is that? Is it not because there is something very different about the power of sex and the power of money that you know when you're committing adultery, you know when you're having sex with somebody? But money is very deceptive and it can sneak up onto your heart and it can blind you. And all too soon you're living for something and you're living in a way 
and you're treasuring stuff in a way that you never thought possible. Very interesting. There's a book I read last year called Status Anxiety. I've mentioned it before. It's written by a modern-day French-Canadian philosopher with a very cool name. His name is Alain Dubotton. And he was saying about the struggles that we all face in the modern world just to compare ourselves. So we compare ourselves with the Joneses who live down the road, and we compare ourselves through social media with the Joneses that live thousands of miles away. And it can just be so oppressive. So we can look at Instagram and we can see, my body is not the shape I want it to be, therefore I need to change. I do not provide for my family in the way I should do, therefore I need to earn more money, and so on. Alain de Botan said, when you look at the history of the Western world, when you look at Western civilization, there used to be just two classes. There was the upper class who had absolutely everything. You could spot them because they dressed in certain ways. They lived in certain stylish houses. They had horses and chariots. And then there was the poor. And the poor had none of these things. The poor struggled to make ends meet. The poor had no means of transportation other than their feet. And you could tell the poor because they were the ones who did not wear certain types of clothes. They wore whatever they could get their hands on and die with natural dyes. But then... There is a period of time, he cites just after the Industrial Revolution in the Western world, where the underclass has got more and more resources, the like of which they've never had before. And this gave them the abilities as uh, department stores kind of sprung up in the great cities of the world, like Paris and New York and London, to buy clothes that previously were out of their reach to buy into a lifestyle that they always wanted but never could have because money was in their pockets like never before. And he says, when you look at clothing and how it links to status, at that point, you began not to tell how much money was in someone's pocket, whether they're from upper class or poor lower class, because they could dress the same. Just a side point. And here, Jesus is saying... You know what? Money has immense power because if you have enough money, you can change your body shape, you can change your postcode. You can buy a different body shape and a new lifestyle. And that's one of the reasons why we can be blinded by the power of money because it gives us what we want. So here comes Jesus and he says, watch out. So if money has this power to give us something that we want, how can we be aware of this sickness that can come into our lives. Jesus says, watch out. Two years ago, I was up at the Tower of London. I was given a treat by a friend. I saw the ceremony of the keys, no less. I was there under moonlight. It was a really special evening, shown around by a beef eater. And at the end of the evening, we saw, we saw some men playing soldiers. Apparently, they're real soldiers, so I better be careful what I say. But it's a very interesting ceremony that's gone on for 400 years. There are six or eight men marching up and down with gray trench coats on and their beef eater hats on and proper working guns, so I will respect them, and those daggery things at the front. The outside keep of the Tower of London is locked, as it has been every year for the last 400 years, and then one single solitary person marches towards the inner keep of the Tower of London. When he gets an earshot, the men who are guarding the inside of the Tower of London drop their guns and shout against the stillness of the night, who's there? The man responds, the keys. Whose keys? The queen's keys. They raise their guns and on he marches. And it means the Tower of London is locked up safe for the night. 
When Jesus Christ says, watch out, he's saying, be on your guard, be alert, ask loads of questions to yourself. Because you and I can become money blind so easily. We can become treasure blind. Jesus is saying, watch out, be on your guard. Be like an attentive soldier. Be aware of the power of things to grab your heart. Because where your heart is, there your treasure will be also, says Jesus. So you could ask yourself, do I really need this? Do I need another one? You could ask yourselves, do I really still need more? Could I live more simply? Why do I need to purchase this? Why am I not giving money to this and that? If you ask those sort of questions to your own heart every single time you go to purchase something, you're watching out, you're being on your guard. You're guarding yourself against being deceived by, by money blindness, by the power of money by money sickness. You don't want to catch that disease because it can kill you, says Jesus. So be on your guard, verse 15. Then Jesus says, this is what money sickness actually looks like. This is what greed looks like, point number two. You may think if we did a survey, hey, what's greedy? And you could say, hey, it's that character from uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. What's their name? The German one that stuffs their mouth with chocolate. Augustus Gloop. It's like Augustus Gloop. He's stuffing his face full of chocolate. We won't make any stereotypes there. You could say, hey, I know what greed is. It's Donald Trump and Trump Tower, building a tower like Babel with your name on it. It could be someone like the Aga Khan who owns 200 horses, if not more. It could be the people who live in Dubai and live wealthily. Whenever you define greed, you know what I do and you know what you will do. You will draw the line far away from yourself. That's what the human heart does. So we will never be greedy, but other people always will. And so how do we define money blindness and greed? It's not through a rule, that won't work. But it's through six symptoms. Jesus gives us six symptoms, six signs in this passage. I'm going to put them in pairs just for speed. But here are six signs that we have crossed the line and that we have become greedy and that we need to be aware of the direction of our lives and the treasures of our heart. Here are six signs, six symptoms that we've become money sick and that we need a cure. Firstly, are two situational signs. Two times, two places where we can see if we follow and have these signs and sicknesses that we're in danger of being greedy. Verse 19. Here's the first two. The sign of greed and materialism. Verse 19. You have plenty, says the rich fool. You have plenty, take life easy, build bigger barns, bigger homes. He's gloating. When a person starts to gloat and says, do you know how much pension money I've got put away. I met a man who did this. I've got four index links pensions. I've got so much money I don't know what to do with it. So his life was devoted to leisure. He retired early. When people start to gloat and say, look at this crop. I've built bigger barns. I've got bigger, 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 larger. That's gloating. That's a sign that you have begun to become money sick. Here's another one. It's not just gloating. It's worry. If you worry about money constantly and stuff, constantly, then it's a sign, verse 29, that you have begun to become money sick situationally in places. It is interesting that after this parable of the rich fool, you've got a chunk of stuff on worry. And it's not a separate thing. I'm convinced they're together. 
So if you gloat and if you worry about financial provision for the future unduly, not responsibly, not wisely, but if it's a, a constant preoccupation of your mind, if it's on your heart about material things constantly, Jesus says to each one of us, be careful. Be careful, in verse 29, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. Because if you constantly worry about it, it's a sign that that's where your treasure is. Beware of your heart situationally, whether it's greed, whether it's worry. Here's the next two symptoms. Be wary of the purpose of what you're using money for, the purpose of what you're using money for. Verse 15, notice the bragging nature of the rich young fool. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. So there are two types of greed here. And then in verse 24, Jesus gives these two really practical illustrations from nature. Consider the ravens, they're secure even though they don't have any money because God makes them secure. Then he says, verse 27, consider the lilies. They're beautiful even though they don't have any money because God clothes them. God secures them, God clothes them. What's he referring to? Here's another symptom of someone that's struggling with money sickness, that the treasure of your heart is financial things and an acclimation of stuff. It's where you place your security. It's where you place your security. It's another symptom. If you look to your bank balance to make you safe, if you invest and invest because you're convinced that when you have enough money, it will protect you from the storms of life, that is a sign that you're looking to your treasure, your resources, your wealth, to be a place of security. If only I have enough money, then I'll be safe. But sadly, why were there so many tragic suicides with people literally throwing themselves out of towers on Wall Street at the last financial crash? Because their security had been shattered. It had literally gone through the floor, the FTSE tanked, the Dow Jones tanked. And people's hope was lost, and so they ended their lives, tragically. Jesus says, if you're in a place where you think, I'll say to myself, verse 19, that you have plenty of things laid up for many years, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. If you think finances and treasure and housing, if you think that'll be enough of a rock and a high tower and a fortress for you to run into so that you're safe, it'll never be enough and you'll never know that it's safe enough. It won't work. If you're looking to those things to provide security and safety, you're looking in the wrong place. You're looking for something that only God can provide. That's the first danger of the ravens. They think they're secure even though they don't have any money. Then there's another danger with money from the lilies. Perhaps you're not a raven. Perhaps you're not a hoarder or a store or a saver. Perhaps you're like a lily. What do I mean? Another thing that money can give to us is beauty. We can run after money because we think that we can change our body shape if we have enough. We can have plastic surgery. We can have a, a nip and a tuck. I need to be careful. Things are going south. I'm 40. But you know what I mean? You can buy certain labels of clothing. You can buy certain makeup. You can be like a lily. You can think that actually if I make myself beautiful enough, then people will love me more. I will have a certain status in society in the street at the school gate. My husband will love me as he should do and as I long for him to. You might think of yourself as a lily. 
But the great irony is this. If you use money in those two ways, like a raven for security or like a lily for beauty, you'll never know if people love you for being you. Because you've put on a persona, you've made yourself something you're not. Because you're deeply anxious for a status that you think money can provide, but it can't. And you'll never know if people will love you for being you. So it's two situations, two uh, purposes, two uses for money, and here are the last two symptoms. Two practical signs of how money and treasure is used. You can run after it in verse 30. Jesus says, here's another symptom. For the pagan world runs after all such things. You might be tempted to overwork. You might be tempted to uh, climb the career ladder. You might be tempted to tread on people if they get in your way. Be wary if you think that, the, like the world does, that if you get up the career ladder, if you get enough money and resources, then all will be well. And be wary, finally, that you don't store up and sell all your possessions and give to the poor. If you don't give your money away, if you don't find that increasingly easy, then as we thought about last week, money's got a hold on you. It's really easy to see that. If that's where your security is, then you'll never be able to give it away. So these six symptoms, these six signs that we've gone through all too quickly, Jesus says, if you find money a treasure, if you think that money will give you a, a beauty and a status that you think will make people love you more, if you find it hard to give money away, if you store it up for yourselves, if you trample on people to get more of it, then those are signs, those are symptoms that actually you love money far too much. Money is not just money to you. You're using money to gain something that only can be found in God. Beware of the danger of money sickness. This is the definition that Jesus gives of what greed is. And then he says, well, this is how actually there's an antidote. This is how you become money healthy. If that's money blindness and money sickness, here's money health. How do you get it? We need to have a good understanding of it healthy understanding of money. One point. We need a radical experience of grace. Where do I get that? Verse 32. Notice what Jesus does not say. Does he say, if you sell your possessions and give to the poor, God will let you into his kingdom? Uh, if you sell your possessions and give to the poor, God will forgive your sins. If you sell your possessions and give to the poor, God will save you. Praise God he doesn't say that. Verse 32, little flock, you've been given the kingdom. And then paraphrasing, if you say you've been given the kingdom apart from your works, apart from your giving, apart from your record, when you see that and see the radical benevolence of God and the love of God and the grace of God, when you see that, you start seeing money as money. In 1 Peter, there's a really interesting passage when uh, Peter is trying to show his love and God's love, more importantly, on Christians who have forgotten it. He says, let me remind you what God has done. Let me remind you of God's sufficient grace and his kindness and mercy to you. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, this is who God has made you. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. And most translations translate that to say you're God's own people. But the actual word is treasure. So it should be translated, you are a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you're God's treasure. 
On the same day I read the article about Gillian Bayford and 148 million pounds, there was an article in the paper about the gifts that Princess Charlotte received at her birth. I mean, what do you get to you know, give to a man or woman who has absolutely everything? It's pretty hard. It's great because Joe, she just provides a list for me every birthday and every Christmas. It's very sweet. But what do you get for somebody who's going to be a future king or queen? Do you know what someone gave Princess Charlotte? £30,000 baby rattle. I mean, come on. £30,000 baby rattle was from, uh, I think, someone in Canada, the government there. Here is God. Here is God who has absolutely everything. Who owns every star in every universe, in every galaxy in the world. Every supernova is his. Every tree is his. Every cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. Every gold and silver and every mine, they belong to him. He owns everything everywhere. And far beyond what the Hubble telescope can see, what do you get him if you're going to get him a present? What does God the Father give to God the Son to give him even more glory? You and me. And Peter takes that thought and says, do you know what, as it were, keeps God up at night, not that he sleeps? Do you know what gives joy to God's heart? Do you know what God has made you as treasure? You're a holy people. You're a royal priesthood. But you're also God's treasure. Friends, when we see that we're God's treasure, money stops being a ruling thing or a controlling thing, and it's, it's just money. Houses and cars and clothes with labels on or not with labels on, they're just clothes. And they become a resource to use for God's glory and to give to other people, to give away, because they don't define us, they don't shape us. What's really interesting early on in, in, in Luke is, just a few weeks back, uh, instead of Jesus, foxes have holes, birds have nests, and the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. It's talking about Jesus when, when he walked the dusty streets of Jerusalem and, and walked around Galilee. He had nothing. He was the poorest of the poor. He was used to wealth beyond our wildest dreams. He was the darling Son of Heaven, and yet he stooped so low that he became like a beggar. He gave up everything. He sold the lot. He liquidated all his assets. He lost all his power. He gave in all his glory. He lost his relationship with his father to pay, to pay for my sin and for your sin. When you see that, money stops being a controlling thing and it becomes just money. He sold everything so that he would get a treasure for himself. Do you see that? Jesus says the only way for you to be able to give money away, the only way for treasures of the world not to grab a hold of your heart and blind you to the fact that they're doing it at the same time, the only way is if you have a greater inner spiritual wealth that, that displaces it. That's the only way. So money's not security, it's not beauty, it literally is just money. And so you can give it away, because it doesn't define you. Every single one of us in this room has something in the throne of our hearts that is precious. It's our treasure. It's our non-negotiable thing that we would die to keep. It might be our family. It might be our home. It might be our bank account. It might be our job. It might be Jesus. But think about this. If it is something other than Jesus, 
Every treasure except Jesus will demand for you to die to purchase it. You're going to have to work really hard to keep your family close, work really hard to get the career you long for, work really hard to get the body you long for. You will die to get it. But only Jesus in the gospel and on the cross dies to purchase you. That's the good news of the gospel. Every other treasure says, run after me and you'll never grab it. You'll never be secure enough. But Jesus says, I will do anything to have you, to make you my treasure. That's why I've been nailed to the cross. That's why we want to remember and celebrate that every single time we meet, really. Every treasure except Jesus says, will you die to purchase me? But Jesus Christ is the only treasure that has died to purchase you. That's the good news of the gospel. He has treasured you, even at the expense of his own life. He gave up everything for me. When you see that, you have inner spiritual wealth beyond any Swiss bank account. And that means that you won't fall for money blindness. You won't let there be a treasure in your heart, anything other than the kingdom of God and of Jesus. I wonder how we're doing in this area. How sick are we? How rich are we? How much do we remember our inner spiritual wealth that Jesus has given us, that he's made us his treasure, that he looks on us and he loves us? Let's pray. Father, these two weeks looking at money and uh, treasure and resources have been really, really challenging. And I pray for myself and for each one of us here very simply that you'd help us to be on guard. You'd help us to be like those soldiers on the Tower of London who year after year, month after month, day after day, don't just go through the motions, but they want to see if the keep is safe. And please help us to keep the keep of our hearts safe by being on guard against the deceptiveness of wealth and treasures and all the things that the world affords. Help us please to sing and to mean it that we would rather have Jesus than silver or gold. We'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. We'd rather have Jesus than anything else. Amen.